Welcome to the Successful Athletes Podcast presented by Trainer Road, where we interview successful athletes to make you a faster cyclist, and in this case, a triathlete, because we are joined with Carson or by Carson Bench. Carson, uh, how are you doing today, man? I'm great, man. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited that you submitted your story. We're going to talk a lot about Ironman 70.3 Augusta today and okay. kind of use that as like a fixture point to talk about your training. But we're also going to talk about your background as an athlete and a human and get more context on that and some insight into addiction as it relates to endurance sport. Uh, yeah, good conversation. But let's start with 70.3 here. So okay. 70.3 Augusta, is that a local event for you? Is that is that why it's something that's targeted? I would call it local for 70.3s and Ironman events. We do have two in Florida that I'm completely uninterested in. So one's just <laughs> flat and boring. I get that every day if I want in Florida. And the other one is in Haines City and it's kind of a gross lake that's very warm. So I'm not a big fan. It's about a seven hour drive. Cool. Okay. Awesome. So with this race in 2018, you did it and you got 507.06 or 507.56 was your time. Your swim was 27.19, your bike was 231.24, and your run was 203.07. So this is, that's, a, that's a fast time. That's a respectable time, straight up. Um, now, in 2021, you came back, and instead of a 507.56, you did a 432.04. So you knocked nearly a half hour or over a half hour off that time, which is super impressive. That's a big reduction. Your swim was three minutes faster. Your bike was five minutes faster. But then your run was 28 minutes faster, so a substantial increase. I, I want to ask you very basically what, what was different this time, but I have insight into this. So I want to drive the questions a little bit more specifically. Um, so let's talk about the improvement that you had between then. Uh, you used Trainer Road to do this. Which plans did you follow? And then we're going to get into all the specifics of how you trained and the improvements you saw, all that stuff. So let's start with which plans you followed. Uh, mid distance triathlon, um, low volume for me always so, until further notice. Yeah. And why low volume? That's an, because that seems to many people counterintuitive for, even though it's a half Ironman, that's a, that's a, that's an endurance event. It's a long event. So why did you pick low volume? Right. Um, it's more, it's way more manageable first. But I can also, if I need a longer ride, you can choose the alternates, one of the newer features, and I can go longer on the weekends, which I normally do. And you have the freedom to add kind of an easier ride midweek or beginning of the week after a long run. And mid-volume, I have way too big of an ego to swap out any of the harder workouts. <laughs> so I'd rather use low volume as a base, and then I can add like a pedit or something as an active recovery or just like an easier day, not really recovery, and then extend on the weekends. Awesome. And I found so, that to be still more than enough. And, and so, th and that's the, the crucial point, right? Is if it's enough to move the needle, what do you do for work? Uh, and, and what's your life situation like for the context of fitting this low volume plan into your life? Uh, extremely blessed. I do software development for payment processing company. Uh, we work specifically with EMV certifications and different payment applications like that. So I work from home. And I have since 2017. So I just kind of go right from my desk. I turn around and my bike's on the trainer right behind me. So it makes it easy. Yeah. It's a good setup. Uh, yeah. and, and do you have other obligations in your life, a, a partner and a home, all other things that you have to worry about as well? Yep. So there is a uh, yard work and home improvement <laughs> TSS going on. I feel like always as a homeowner 
and I do have a wife, but again, extremely blessed. She's uh, training beside me. So we have two, two trainers, two trainer road accounts, and we basically train together. Nice. That's a good setup to have. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about what you did differently in terms of your training. Were you more consistent with your training this time, or was it just simply following the trainer road plan that helped? What made the difference and got you this improvement, which is 230 FTP, roughly to 264. So, you know, 30 watt FTP increase. That's, that's pretty substantial. What was different this yeah. time? Um, well, the consistency and I was using trainer road in 2018, but I was also coaching a group of first time triathletes. About 13 athletes did Augusta that year. Um, their first, some their first triathlon, some their first 70.3. And so there was a lot more of that kind of getting in the way of my training, which I don't complain about. That was my job. But um, it was really either riding easy recovery at 120 watts or just short bursts of intensity where I could find it, where I wasn't babysitting an entire group ride. So the bike training was hard back then. The run was inconsistent. Um, health issues. I would spend weeks up to a month at a time, really just kind of fatigued and run down. And then you get in the cycle of trying to make up for it when you can train and when you do feel good and you kind of blow yourself out. And I think even the week of Augusta in 2018, I just was not feeling good. So mm. there was definitely some consistency. I also wasn't following the plan back then either. I was just choosing workouts or creating my own or just doing even a free ride because I was just trying to see what I could manage physically at that point. Sure. And then this yeah. year, um, extremely consistent, just train a road, um, indoor, basically every single ride. I think I rode outdoor once this year until the race and, uh, yeah, just followed the trainer road plan. Awesome. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the splits individually, your swim being three minutes faster. Did you put in a lot of work on the swim or was, what was the reasoning for that increase or that I should say that reduction in time? Uh, I put a little more effort into the swim, more open water swims. I'm notorious for being way too impatient to put in enough swimming, but it get, I get away with very little somehow. I don't know why, cause I didn't grow up swimming. Augusta is also, we have to be honest, it's a down river swim. So you do have the current behind you and, uh, but 2018, I probably swam maximum 15, 1600 yards at a time twice a week. This year it was typically around 2000 yards twice a week. And then an open water swim in the ocean almost every Sunday. Oh, wow. But can, the can, current was also faster this year. I have to say it was much faster than it was in 2018. So I kind of wish I could have had no current to showcase the improvements I know I made but sure. I'll take three minutes either way. Yeah. Regardless, it probably meant that you could finish that swim at that pace and then just not be as fatigued rolling into the rest. Right. Yeah. And as they, they don't let you warm up in the water at this race because they don't want people floating down the river and not being able to get back. <laughs> so, uh, it, it, I really almost looked at it as the warm up to the bike and run. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way to, yeah, that's a good way to do it. Can I ask a little bit about the open water stuff? Why did you do less of it before and why were you doing it more of it now? Uh, living in Daytona is where I was at in 2018 and New Smyrna is about 20 minutes south and that is a sharp bike capital of the United States, I come to find out. <laughs> and I was not too thrilled on swimming there anymore. I coached a lot of athletes almost every weekend in that water and then I found out, I was like, yeah, I probably just won't go back there. I'm not coaching right now, so I don't need to put myself <laughs> through that. Uh, and then I found the beach that we moved 
near in St. Petersburg in 2019. And it's just way easier access. And where you sit on the beach to where you get in the water, it's literally too easy to not swim. Mm. What, so. what have you, how have you improved or what were the challenges that you faced with open water swimming before that you've gotten better at now? I think just consistency. It, mm. Again, I mean, I wouldn't do it enough. And then when I did do it again, not complaining because I brought it on and I actually loved coaching. It's just, I'm making sure these people that are just learning how to swim, don't panic and freak out in the water in terms of actually swimming. I might've gotten in four to 600 yards every time I tried an open water swim back then, as opposed to now I can do a mile to a mile and a half, just enjoying it by myself. Is have you found anything to help with whether it's spotting or whether it's timing your breathing right with waves, anything else like that? Have you found any tips that have helped you get better at open water swimming? Uh, I wish I could share some knowledge. I'm terrible at sighting. I actually did pop my head up at one point in a couple of weeks ago in Augusta and there was a guy in a canoe telling me I was about to go off course and it's literally <laughs> a straight line. So not too many tips there. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I I'm hunting for tips personally as I, as I struggle with it. What about timing with the ocean specifically in waves? Have you found anything to help with like breathing or timing your stroke with, with dealing with constant waves like that? Yeah. And I remember, um, uh, Amber and Nate both telling you to breathe into your armpit. Um, yeah. it allows you to not get water in your face, first of all, and up the nose and in the everywhere. And also every other stroke. So I breathe primarily, primarily to my right. And as I look over, I can see the waves coming this way. And then every probably four strokes, you can just kind of glance and make sure there's no waves coming at you and just kind of almost be prepared for a wave. Yeah. But I think really, if you feel something coming on, just keeping your head down and not letting it slap you in the face and kind of just glide under it. Sure. You have a whole lot more presence in the water than I do. Um, I'm pre <laughs> um, it wasn't like that in the beginning. It was hilarious to watch me start swimming. I underestimated it completely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a huge challenge. Um, what about, let's talk about the bike, the next uh, discipline that you have there. Um, did you do anything different, whether it was like, uh, we've, we've talked about the training you did, you're more consistent, you're following the plan. Um, but did you, did you do anything else to allow your bike training to improve or even just the execution to be better on the bike when it was race day? Yeah. So again, getting over being sick basically every other month in 2018, uh, 2019 was a good year for learning how to train with that structure all the way through it, an entire plan. And to be honest, even the low volume back then with just extending a weekend ride, it kind of put me in the, that's why I say it's more than enough for most people. It, I would get run down and I'm too stubborn to back off sometimes. So, <laughs> uh, I was very adamant about nailing each workout and I did to the point where I would start to get fatigued yeah. oh, and another key one. So there are the, the deloading weeks in the plan. And I would take those and sometimes even take out the high intensity back in 2018 on those deloading weeks and just kind of go easy all week. But I was too insecure to miss a weekend of long, hard stuff. Mm -hmm. So all the recovery weeks were only Monday through Friday. Weekends were business as usual. And um, I think I paid for it in the end. Yeah, that's... Um man, I, 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 I suffer the same thing because the, the group ride still happens on Saturday, right? So you want right. to do it or the mountain bike trails are there and you think, Oh, well, I've done all this resting. So that means I should be able to get away with it, but yeah. discipline, right? It's tough. 
Yeah, I've taken, I've done ramp tests on Fridays over recovery week. I've done all the, all those mistakes because you feel good. Thursday, Friday, you're like, I'm feeling all right. Let's get it going. And then, so I think this year, just really holding out all the way through the weekend, as uncomfortable as it may feel, it really did pay off. Yeah. Uh, anything that you changed on position or equipment for the race? I did. Um, I have the giant Trinity, which is a really Sweet. cool bike, but it's very fixed in its position. Um, so I, I did get wedges. They, that's just a personal preference. Um, so I have like a 10 degree angle instead of that flat TT position. Mm-hmm. And I actually raised the stack height on my extensions. And nice. if I look at the picture of me on the bike between the two years, my head is just a lot lower in terms of where my hands are in turn, mm-hmm. instead of just trying to lower myself all the way down to as low as I can get because my stack height was so low. So I'm much more comfortable and it looks a little more aero. I'm not an expert on aerodynamics, but it looks better from picture standpoints and it felt a lot more sustainable. Have you closed off kind of that open chest space by raising yeah. your hands up and angling them up so that there's less open room there? Yeah, I joke that I look like a cannonball because I have a black kind of rounded no tail arrow helmet with a shield uh-huh. and my hands are right here and it's just hands and then black. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, so. it's, that's honestly one of the biggest bets and what we learned from our arrow testing when we went to the velodrome and did all that was just if you just close off that space, that's like one of the biggest gets that you can get aside from just using a skin suit or a arrow helmet that works well with your profile. Yeah. 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 Did you do actually, any? I, sorry, one last funny thing. Yeah. I, I average the same amount of Watts. I'm way more fit on the bike. I averaged the exact same wattages in 2018 and took five minutes off. I think. Wow. Interesting. So I think, um, my FTP is higher so I can sustain that power better but I think the position was a lot more aerodynamic and more comfortable to sit in for two and a half hours. Yeah. So this is, this is something that's super key to take and take note. It wasn't that suddenly you were doing huge amounts of power more than you did before. Uh, just like the swim, it wasn't that you were just swimming, you know, uh, you were suddenly super hydrodynamic and really powerful in the water, but all of these things you're sitting further below your threshold so far, right? right? Um, for both of those disciplines, how do you pace that course? Uh, it, it, it's not, it's not pan flat, right? No. And it's, it's an awkward one, especially for someone who neglected outdoor riding for probably two years because COVID there were no races. Um, yep. all 2020 was kind of a scratched. So it was just indoor training year, which I'm fine with, but yeah, I really, so two days before the race, I pre-rode the hilliest section. It's just a two mile kind of rolly section to make sure I had the right cassette because I have the new one by axis and my options yeah. were a 1026 or the 1033. Mm. And big uh, difference I between see, those two. Yeah. I wanted the 1026 because there's just those small increments all almost all the way through the cassette, which is so comfortable. Uh, so I pre-wrote it and I was literally like right below threshold on the hardest part of the climb. I'm like, cool, we're going 1026. <laughs> um, but Pacing that is really for me, just making sure on the hills, don't go, if you go above threshold, back off almost immediately and just kind of sit in that comfort zone on the hills because you have plenty of real estate on a uh, 70.3 course to burn your energy. (laughs) Yeah. So if you're feeling good, leave it for the last 20 miles of the bike leg. How did you, um, how do you pace when you're going down the backside of a hill? One thing that I've noticed with a lot of uh, good 
triathletes with like well-disciplined pacing is that they, they are able to keep that power consistent over the tops and the descents. And it feels really fast compared to how a lot of just cyclists do it, where they kind of ease up and coast down. Were you consciously like managing your power, not just on the climbs, but also in other spots like that? Yeah. I, um, as much as I tried not to go over, I set myself as a limit. Don't go above 260 on the climbs. Try not to go below 150 as no matter how steep it is. And if you can't pedal, just tuck it in and hope for the best. So coming over the top, I just tried to manage and keep the power up there and not back off because I know we're going to about, we're going to hit a downhill. So it's not going to hurt much longer and then just pedal as much as you can going down. Yeah. It's crazy how much time that saves. It doesn't like, it's the push over the top that, that really ends up saving you so much time. It's not going, it's not blowing yourself up by going too hard. It's just carrying that pace and you get back up to speed so quickly. Yeah. And there was one, one athlete. So I didn't start in the very front with all the fast guys, but I, um, move my way through the pack that was ahead of me for, for the most part. And the one person that passed me was on a climb. And then I really immediately passed him just coming over the top when I got flat again, because yep. it's, it is a conscious thing. I don't think it's, we're physically trained to keep pushing the power down if you follow a plan, but mentally, when you get to the top of a hill, you kind of want to check out and say the work is done, but it's not. So just keep pedaling. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how that works. How about nutrition? What did you take in on the bike? And was that different than what you did in 2018? Uh, yeah, that was different. Also, I used, um, Roctane, which was kind of new for me, mm-hmm. the goo Roctane. And I'm not huge on the actual goo gel packs. They're too thick for me in most cases, but liquid seems to work. Okay. And I did it's about 750 calories in one bottle and 500 in another. And I got through most of my second bottle and swapped it out for water at the 45 mile mark at one of the aid stations. And that, nice. um, I also threw in a hydration pack with one of those bottles and I think it was, a, it was really high octane. It was like a thousand milligrams of sodium on top of the roctane because <laughs> I've been, I'm a heavy sweater and I had done a ton of heat training for this and just prep myself to sweat a lot, but also refuel. Mm. So yeah. And your stomach wasn't upset by taking on all of that sodium at one, all at once like that. Fortunately, not until after the race. I paid for yeah. it that night, but, uh, <laughs> I'm okay with that. I don't have to race the next day. So I was, yeah, race, <laughs> race is over, race is done. whatever gets you through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how about the run? I, in this case, you were 28 minutes faster in your assessment. Cause it's always hard to tell how much of this was because of improved running form or how much of this was because since your performance threshold, so to speak, and the other disciplines was higher going into this, that made it so that you were kind of fresher for the run. How much do you think, uh, where, where, how do you split that pie up? I think, uh, 70%, roughly performance among the other disciplines, making it easier to run off the bike, but also that nutrition component, mm-hmm. because in 2018, that run was embarrassing, man. I cramped from mile 45 on the bike through the... Oh through the, like the finishing shoot of the run. Um, and there's a funny video, my, my, uh, stepdad's filming me and this old guy wearing a cowboy hat passed me like, (laughs) and I'm hobbling and you can hear my dad in the video say, if you pass him, I'll buy you one of those hats. And I could not do a thing about it because I was just cramping from the mid back all the way down. It was hilarious. And this time, um, I had targeted stretch goal was, um, one, one thirty two. 
Um, I would have been happy anything sub 140, honestly, because I hadn't done that in a 70.3 yet. Yeah. So it worked out. I did fall apart a little bit in the last couple of miles, but that was more of a durability issue. Um, mm. I still have plenty of energy. The legs were just kind of asking me to stop. <laughs> yeah. As they do so, with these sort of things. Yeah. 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 Was there, is there anything else that you did in terms of pacing that helped you this year, uh, with the run? I mean, cause that's kind of technique and everything else. That's what you build in the training. But then when you get off the bike in the race, it's kind of just like, okay, what can I do with what I have? So how, what was your pacing like as once again on an undulating course? Uh, well, the, thankfully the, the runs actually flat. The oh, bike's okay. slightly hilly, the run's flat, but it's funny. I typically, in a triathlon, come out of transition feeling like a million bucks. I don't know why. I almost run better off the bike, at least for one mile. <laughs> Ten <laughs> miles down the road, we asked me then, but um, this is the first time I didn't feel good getting off the bike running. I came out of transition, and there's the smallest hill. It's like a curb cut and a sidewalk. Hmm. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a terrible run, because getting up that seemed really hard. Um, but I got to the two mile mark before I realized it. And I was like, okay, it's not feeling bad. And that was two miles. If I can do that six more times, then I just have one mile left. And that's all I kept. And it was just really keeping it comfortable. Um, Mm. because I'm not at the effort level where I can go all out for a half marathon, especially at the end of a 70.3, but it was just kind of checking my watch. I wasn't concerned with pace, but it was an indicator are you sustaining it and does it still feel good or are you slowing down terribly? And I didn't start slowing down probably till mile 10 and a half. Got it. What did you do at that point to keep yourself going? Did you allow yourself to slow down? Did you try to force the issue and not slow down? A little bit of both. I hobble walked one of the aid stations and grabbed some Coke and water and then told myself, this is like the only, the second race you've been able to do all year. So if you start walking and give up now, it's going to be really disappointing after you finish. And also like, how cool is it that we get to race? So it was more of a mental thing. Like you don't have to stop running. It hurts. And you actually said this on one of the podcasts, um, in regards to threshold work, it's like that slow Python and it just kind of keeps getting a little tighter. And I said, it's not feeling better, but it's not necessarily getting worse. Mm -hmm. So keep going because there's really nothing wrong. It just hurts and you're racing. So it probably should hurt. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. It, in terms of the racing part too, gratitude goes a long way. Like recognizing the opportunity you have can go a long way for people. You know, it's amazing, man. It's so cool what we can do. Yeah. And it's so rare and it's, it's, it's become rare (laughs) that we have these race opportunities, you know? Yeah. Everything else was was canceled this year. I got to do one sprint, uh, the following race I was going to do, they canceled it for a hurricane that didn't happen. So I was just excited to race. I didn't want to blow the opportunity by giving into that mental battle for sure. Yeah. So, um, kudos, like fantastic job. Uh, that's, uh, for, and if you're thinking about this for the con for context, I know that this is a half, but four thirty-two. you know, if you were to be able to do something like a 10 hour pace in a full distance, try like that's a seriously fast time. And that's not far off of what you might be actually. Um, because strangely, even though it's twice as long, our bodies can kind of just do what they do. <laughs> Similar <laughs> energy point. systems. So yeah. 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 So that's, that's, that's a seriously impressive time. Um, Thank you. I, I want to get into your background a little bit as an athlete, and I think we'll have more context. You've mentioned a few times, like struggling with health and maintaining that. And when you wrote in to me, you talked about your background uh, starting way back from when you weren't necessarily athletic, but you were struggling with addiction. 
and, yeah. and going through rehab to manage that. And then you, you went through various different phases and kind of implementations of addiction in your life and struggling with it in different ways. Um, yeah. it's common it's, and, and it's actually, it's not spoken about, but it's common actually. I've, I've found that endurance sports and addiction tend to go hand in hand. Why do you think that is? The simplest answer is endorphins and they're both things I used to say, I'm not addicted to any one substance. I'm addicted to more. So if, if one feels good, three is going to be better. Um, training really feels good when you nail a workout and you do get a ton of endorphins. Like I'll feel so good after a bike workout. I just want to like text a friend and yeah. be like, what's up? Cause I want to just, I'm in a good mood. So, um, it, re it definitely can replace that. But as you mentioned earlier, it's something you have to manage because it can also go down a dark path similar to substances, maybe not as destructive, but it can definitely lead you down the same mental space. Yeah. It, it, how, what do you do with the desire to do more on the bike uh, or running or swimming? Cause that's boy, especially with triathlon, you're doing all three disciplines. So that temptation has to be there just ready to get you at all times. Oh, it is. Um, <laughs> I can thank my wife for some of that. She definitely <laughs> tries to keep me in check. She's like, are you doing too much? And I'm like, no, I swear. She's like, it looks like you're going pretty hard. Um, <laughs> but really I am kind of afraid of overtraining and fatigue because I have been susceptible to that over the last few years. And really just, I think I've just kind of grown, not just as an athlete, but as a human. And I am learning that like, I'm still progressing with the load that I'm doing. So why do I want to try to do three more hours a week? Mm. You know, mm -hmm. um, things are working just fine. I should just be grateful for what I'm a bit like able to do. Yeah. Well, when you mentioned the, the, the tendency to, to overtrain or the risk at which you stand, uh, to, to be, to become overtrained, what are the things that you do? We've talked about doing more, but what are the other things that you do or do not do that puts you in a vulnerable position to overtraining? Um, do not would be, uh, neglecting sleep and food for mm -hmm. sure. I do fall on a tendency. I've gotten much better at it, but, um, not feeling like I deserve to eat on easy days or recovery weeks, or even if let's say I have 90 minutes planned, if I only do an hour and 20, there's something in my brain that says I didn't finish a workout. Therefore you shouldn't eat as much, but if it was only a one hour workout planned, I would just eat because I nailed that workout. And so learning to keep that in check, um, and just making sure I sleep and take care of my body. Yeah. You mentioned that, uh, at one point you were struggling with addiction with eating disorders. You kind of like replace substances with this, like the, this pursuit of, of being this skinny athlete. Yeah. Uh, yeah. when, what, what, like, what signs did you find that you were like, Whoa, I've, I've gone down an analogous, but different hole that I once was in. Well, yeah, I, I think the, so I was bulimic for, I think it was about two years in total. And I think the first time is I was starting to get skinny after being in rehab and eating pastries all the time and smoking cigarettes and <laughs> Mm -hmm. Uh, I was not happy with my body composition and that's when I started running and I started seeing results in terms of losing weight. I wasn't really chasing performance at the time. And, uh, 
every time I'd go visit my parents on the weekend, they wanted to go eat pizza, pasta, all this stuff. And I would be like, man, I'm working so hard during the week and I'm going to blow it on the weekend. And I don't know why I made myself throw up one time. I was like, well, there's the answer. And then two years later, I was suffering severe health consequences from that. And again, just good people in my life kind of pulled me out of that. I did end up in the hospital two nights before a half marathon uh, because of it. And that was kind of a wake up call, but I still did struggle with that afterwards. And it's still a battle. Um, I'm much more balanced now. I allow myself to eat food basically. Yeah. This is a bit of a personal question. So we can edit this out if you don't want to answer it. Um, how much of the drive toward that eating disorder was for you to feel okay with the choices you were making versus you, um, becoming something else to different people. You mentioned that you had this change in body composition and this profound change in lifestyle that you had shifted from, from substance abuse. And suddenly you were a runner and you were an example of health and fitness. How much of it was driven by the, the thought that are the opinions of others and how much of it was just trying to balance that internal equation? A lot and a lot more than I realized at the time, but I do significantly one thing that stands out in my mind that I used to think about a lot was, um, I was the assistant resident manager of a rehab of about hundred men. And to them running three miles, most of these guys, it's like, you ran how far you ran there. You didn't stop. That's crazy. Um, so I really did get kind of addicted to that, um, uh, gratification, but from others. And then as I was getting more and more skinny, um, I got obsessed with that validation as well. When someone would tell me, Hey, you're looking too skinny. I was like, maybe I should lose another pound. And then I got fixated on the idea that I'm not just in good shape, but I stand out because I was slim. I am. So even if I was in good shape and went up a pant size and put on five pounds and look healthier, now I'm less unique. Now it doesn't stand out and I'm not going to have that same validation. So, what would you, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, it was just, it's, um, it was a lot from others that I put on myself. What would you tell your, what would you tell past self? A size 28 is small enough, <laughs> but no, really, um, <laughs> stop comparing yourself to others because I remember my uncle is an avid cyclist and, uh, my aunt who married him, uh, recently passed away, rest in peace. But she, they asked me what my weight was. I went to go meet up with them in Utah where I grew up and, uh, go on some road rides with them. And they're like, how much do you weigh? And uh, how, how tall are you? And my aunt goes, wow, you're like a pro climber. So I got obsessed with that idea. And I said, wow, so maybe that's why they're so fast because they're skinny, not because they train very smart and very scientifically. Mm -hmm. So I actually, I'm the same height as uh, Nairo Quintana. So I Googled his height and weight and I said, I need to be that skinny. Mm -hmm. And I ended up being like nine pounds lighter than Nairo Quintana for a while. And I was extremely slow as a result. Yeah. And not to mention, uh, the, the lack of, uh, lack of health too. I'm sure they came along with that. Right. I'm sure it didn't treat my immune system well or anything else. Yeah. Yeah. When you talk about too, like constantly struggling with getting sick and, and dealing with that, that, you know, uh, you, like you said, you're a person that you're a maximalist, not a minimalist in the sense that more means better, right? Like, so why not? Yeah. So 
when you're training all these athletes and you do all this and then you're following, you're trying to train as much as you can to fit in. In addition to training those athletes, it leaves you vulnerable. Um, yeah. So some takeaways that I'm getting from this are, um, sometimes we think that we've fixed a problem, but really the problem has just changed or shifted. It's changed address. Right. Um, yeah. and then, but, but we continue to deal with it in different ways. Do you still feel like you wrestle with addiction in one way or another? Yeah. Um, and actually in some of the worst forms, I, I mean, I feel like I had been out of the weeds using hard substances and I quit smoking cigarettes a long time ago and just, um, all those things. And then I casually would start drinking wine just at home. And then pandemic year, I got into the loop of just dinner takes two hours to cook because I'm putting on a podcast and drinking an entire bottle of wine. That's not definitely not sober living. And I had to realize that just because I'm not doing super destructive things or ending up in jail because of this wine, it's definitely not healthy. And it's probably not helping my training. Um, wife doesn't enjoy her husband just showing up on the couch after eating dinner and falling asleep 10 minutes later instead of hanging out with her. So it's, um, I do, I will wrestle with things and I feel like I might wrestle with it for the rest of my life. And hopefully I can continue to learn and just manage them better. So that's also one of the things that I changed a lot this year is, um, I didn't make a super conscious effort, but I just tried not drinking actually to help with some allergies because mm. alcohol is a major histamine. So, um, it helped for like a week. I wasn't sneezing and I was fine for like a week. I was like, well, let's just keep trying this. And I haven't, haven't been drinking. I don't really miss it because I enjoy feeling really good when I wake up in the morning <laughs> and training more productively. Yeah. Uh, so it, yeah, it's, it's an ongoing battle and it's one that in endurance sport is an interesting one because it can serve as a great safe Harbor for addiction, right? Like, yes. Um, but at the same time, it's one that with structure can actually be managed well. And with a responsible take, I love that you have mentioned the fact of low volume training and you're still seeing year over year improvement. And that's what you really want to go for. Um, another takeaway that's really interesting that I got from this is that about comparison and how in so many cases, when we can find intrinsic motivation, when we can, you know, find worth in ourselves and continue in that path rather than basing it on opinions of others and external forces, everything becomes more sustainable and healthy. Is there something you've done to, uh, to shift from that extrinsic extrinsic to intrinsic motivation, ignoring the opinions of others more and focusing on something for yourself? Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's not perfect. I don't know that it ever goes away, but I've definitely started to look at myself. I can't be another human being, so I shouldn't really compare myself. And I, um, I've trained with some really fast people in the past and I'll follow their results. And even knowing I was going to talk to you, knowing I did a 432, which was a dream time in my head a year ago, but I have mm-hmm. a friend that just went 415 at the world champs. And I'm like, Oh, I'm not that fast, but I would never thought I could do this. So it's really taking a step back and looking at how are you progressing within yourself? I can compare myself to last year and the year before that. And even outside of results, how are you following the process? Because that intrinsic motivation to me, I really feel good about just sticking to a process and managing that and just seeing the improvements. I found in 2020 with no races, 
I don't need a race or I don't need any kind of extrinsic goal to stay motivated. If I have a process and I can hone in on just getting a little better at something, I'm pretty content with following that path. And I just have to take a step back every once in a while and one, be grateful for where we are and what we're able to do. I mean, if you think about everything else going on in the world, missing a workout, failing a workout, not being as fast as someone else, they're really minimal. And this is something we do for fun. So that's mainly my, my main takeaway. I think that's a great place to end this too. Fantastic takeaways. Um, this has been a really takeaway dense one talking about your improvement and then talking about the balance with, with endurance sport. Uh, what's, what's next for you? Uh, what's your next goal? Uh, well, I'm running a half marathon in five weeks. I'm going to use this fitness that I have and try to go like sub 128. That's where my training runs had put me in the ballpark of leading into Augusta. And then I will be enjoying some off season fun. And then the build will start again for 70.3 Chattanooga in May. Awesome. Next year. Yeah. That's exciting. Um, man, uh, Carson, I appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with me and to submit your story. Um, Carson did that at trainerroadcom slash SAP. And if you're listening to this, I'd love to hear from you. What have you achieved? What have you overcome? Uh, what's happened in your life that trainer road has helped you with? Uh, I would love to hear it. So go there and share that. Uh, Carson, if people want to get in touch with you, is there a best way to do it? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm on Instagram at Carson bench three, but it's mainly just the, the cats and the dog. So <laughs> if you like animal photos and the occasional bike picture, then you can follow me, but yeah, that's about it. Awesome. Very cool. Well, thanks Carson. I appreciate it. Good luck at the half marathon. Good luck Thank next you. year. Uh, that's going to be exciting to, to, to follow you along and see how you do there. Um, and heck I might even be doing triathlon stuff next year. We'll see. Um, I hope you are. And, yeah. uh, if you have questions, reach out. I don't know how much I can <laughs> I, help. You got a really good swim coach in Amber on your side. So I know I'm going to have to go all the way up uh, to where she's at, you know, all the way up in Connecticut for some coaching. So it'll be good. I think it'd be worth it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Awesome. Thanks Carson. We'll chat with you soon. Thank you, John. Bye.